This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, a BFM 89.9, which is joined us, Julian Ng, Ibrahim Sani, myself, Sherrod Kutin. The morning run uh, with its concluding show, the SNM show. You make it sound like it's the end of the world. Uh, no, it's not the end of the world. It can't be because <laughs> tomorrow is another day, as they say. But uh, more importantly, the question is, and the question before us, is how expensive are markets right now? And should we care? Yep, um, we definitely should be caring, I think, for a lot of people uh, who have been following this show and who have been following our other shows like Market Watchers. Uh, the question is whether it is too expensive to buy into markets right now. I mean, um, the global markets has, have had a very good run since the financial crisis back in 2008, which was followed by unprecedented policy to flood the markets with a lot of money. And as a result of that, over the last few years, um, the S&P 500, which is an American index representing 500 of the largest American companies in the world, as well as being a barometer for uh, world stock market health, right? That index has tripled over the last few years. So uh, I think it's the, an, a very apt question to ask whether markets are expensive uh, right now. And I also saw a headline back home in the Edge Weekly asking, uh, the headline goes like this, uh, post-Malaysia, undemanding valuation, uncertain prospects. So it, it says something about uh, the direction of where post-Malaysia is going. According to the article, post-Malaysia is trading 17 times, uh, whereas another competitor, GDEX, similar business, that's trading 78 times. And this is, of course, referring to the price earnings ratio or the PE for short. And what this means is that investors are valuing GDEX a lot higher than post and also means that investors are paying more per dollar of earnings for GDEX uh, rather than for post-Malaysia. So, Julian, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. So, this question that you posed at the start of the show, this is about a question that you pose to individual punters. Is this a, bad, <laughs> is this a good time to go in or should you wait for the market to go down before you go in? Is that, crudely, is that? crudely speaking, yes. Okay. Uh, crudely speaking, <laughs> individual that's, punters. That's but, but not only punters, which, uh, you know, a kind of very, um, I, I guess not a very positive uh, view is cast on a reputation of punters, right? Uh, that there is a sentiment that they don't re they're not very sophisticated in investments and they don't really know what they're doing. But actually, that's not true. There are a lot of punters out there who are quite sophisticated beyond the asking, uh, you know, the question of, hey, the share price going where? You know, that <laughs> beyond asking <laughs> that kind of question. Uh, but it, it's also something that uh, international fund managers focus on is it cheap or is it expensive to buy into stocks? Okay, so how do you make that calculation? Yeah. Uh, what, how do, basically, for the ordinary person who wants to, uh, you know, to invest in the stock market, what would that calculation be? You know, crudely, what the PE is trying to say is that it takes about 17 years for uh, post Malaysia's profits to so-called pay back or cover the cost price, while it, uh, for GDEX it takes 78 years. So you can see 78 the kind of, years. Eight, right? 78, yeah, 78 years. years. So 17 years, uh, the lifetime of uh, of a uh, of a teen versus the lifetime of uh, you know a human being. Of, uh, yeah, Bernie Sanders. <laughs> okay, more or less. Um, so this is the price versus the earnings. And the earnings are stated on 
an annual basis. Uh, so if your price to earnings ratio is 17 times, you can express that in the number of years. Uh, so Post Malaysia, as Ibrahim rightly pointed out, takes 17 years to payback, I'm, I'm using air quotes here, to payback in terms of the earnings, while as GDAX, 78 years. Uh, you can also turn it the other way around and ask yourself that if you invested one ringgit or one dollar into the company, what is the returns per year, uh, per returns per annum in percentage form, right? So that is the, now this is going to get technical, but bear with me because it's actually quite interesting. Uh, that's the inverse or upside down of the P-E ratio. Instead of taking P over E, you take E over P, earnings over your price. And that means for Post Malaysia is 1 over 17, which is about 6%, about 3 percentage points, 3 or 4 percentage points higher than what the FD is giving you. Uh, and that's to compensate you for taking risk. Uh, so that, that's maybe that's fair. Uh, and for GDEX, uh, it's 1 over 78, and that results in 1.3% earnings yield for GDEX. And you have to really ask your question of, should I invest in GDEX or should I just put my money in the, the fixed deposits, right? Yeah, because <laughs> fixed deposit is a safe return, uh, no risk or little risk involved. PIDM insured, and it still gives you about three times more than, say, GDAX. So is it possible that you could invest uh, in a company with a P2E ratio, uh, you know, whatever it may be in the case of uh, Post Malaysia's 1 to 17, uh, but that could change over time, right? So it actually could improve. So while it might not look so great now, it could, for whatever reason... Sherrod, you are so knowledgeable because this, all, <laughs> this is all about change. This is all about uh, what investors expect for the future, right? Uh, they, they're not paying 78 times for GDAX uh, because they are charitable, right? They, they want to expect some kind of future growth uh, for GDAX. And it is a gamble that they're taking because uh, I think GDAX uh, just recently had a Japanese investor and they valued GDAX at exactly that, uh, 78 times, which means that there is this expectation that uh, the growth of GDAX will become so much more rapid in future years that it compensates for that expensive price that they're paying. So it's, it's really uh, a gamble uh, for the future growth of the company and uh, one, one uh, um, scenario that you can uh, illustrate this uh, quite accurately is the tech sector, you know, the Amazons, Facebook, yep. Googles of the world, yep. compared with, let's say, tobacco or oil, right? Oil companies. Yeah. Um, so Apple recently overtook um, uh, ExxonMobil as being the biggest company in the world. Maybe yeah, in not terms recent. of market capitalization. I think a while back already. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, tech companies in general have got very expensive PE ratios compared to either tobacco or oil companies because uh, the perception is that there is not much growth in the latter two groupings. Yeah, but there's also an indication of brand value, you see, because of this intrinsic goodwill that investors uh, tend to attach to these uh, sectors like tech sector. But uh, the future prospects are making these kind of investments quite uh, quite steadily. Now, following back to the, the earlier statement that you made, Julian, on the Japanese company buying into GDEX, uh, Yamato Holdings, uh, Berhad, uh, bought GDEX about 10% stake earlier this year uh, and I think it could be also because of the uh 
FX gain that they might get because uh, yuan against ringgit, they might see some value entering now. So while PE ratio was was high on their mind and also the yield that they might get from this investment, it's also an opportunity for foreign investors to come in and try to capitalize on uh, the cheaper or the perceived cheaper ringgit. So it doesn't make it so expensive for these foreign investors to come possibly, in and invest possibly. in, in, in yeah, local bonds. Possibly, yeah, it's peanuts bonds. for them. Yeah, peanuts for the Japanese. I um, also want to go back to your uh, what you mentioned about goodwill and brand value. So if you start from uh, square one, which is one time, let's let's assume one time earnings, let's say one million bucks and you're paying one million bucks for the company, it's kind of unfair for the seller or the owner of the company because you're not according any brand value uh, to the company, any uh, kind of goodwill uh, for the company because the company may have established that kind of thing that warrants you paying more than one year's worth of profits uh, to the owner. So uh, usually markets, I mean, if stocks are cheap, then you would call them uh, five times or six times yeah. or seven times. If markets are, uh, if stocks are fairly valued, then maybe it's 15, 16 times. But if stocks are 50 times, 60 times, 70 times, then there must be something about the the brand as well as the growth of the company that's driving those kind of valuations that make investors want to pay a lot for stocks, like how you pay a lot for, a, let's say, a Ferrari compared to a Proton, right? Yeah. yeah. We're going to have to come back, you know, um, on this because I, I really have, I have a burning question and it's whether uh, a punter, you know, if I desire to be a punter, would I need a crystal ball in order to play the stocks and understand all these dynamics? Or, or as our earlier market commentator said, uh, crystal balls absolutely <laughs> you may have, have more than one you may need more than one you may you may indeed <laughs> bfm 89.9 julian ibrahim and myself sharad on the snm show and oh it gave me a bit of a shock there how expensive <laughs> are markets right now and the question is okay are we looking beyond a particular stocks particular companies are we looking at markets as such. Was that your burning question? No, actually my burning question, which I kind of left the uh, us with uh, before the break, which was, you know, uh, do you need a crystal ball? I mean, how much of, uh, of your involvement and investment in the stock, in stock markets uh, driven by what you anticipate is going to come in the future? I think there are two types of investors. Um, and it's very polarizing, actually, uh, on both sides of the divide, or one that believes that you can actually predict markets and stock prices and whole careers have been set up based on that. And we speak to many of them. They are our honored and valued guests, right? On the show. But th there are other investors like myself who think that uh, you really can't predict the future. And uh, because of that, I'm a very passive kind of investor. I will just let the markets do their job and I don't want to get into the business of trying to predict markets. Uh, I, I will manage my investments through uh, an assessment of what uh, the kind of risk that I'm willing to take. So if I don't want to take so much risk, I limit the amount of money that I put in the stock market. And if I think that I can stomach more risk, then I, I'll just channel money into buying entire markets through, let's say, ETFs or index funds. Now, of course, the dichotomy here 
is that it's a passive investor, not a pessimistic investor. But being a passive investor, I think you need to have the patience of having uh, the acceptance of longer term uh, financials, long term cash flows. Um, and at some point, cash flows will, of course, rise and these kind of uh, you know valuations will come into play. I don't know whether a lot of investors are going to have that same kind of sentiment. Yeah, you know, this is really, really very important because what is the payoff of a PE ratio, right? As some day, at some t- point in time, what gives the t- theoretical backing to the PE ratio? And it's going to be cash flows. Uh, if you are not going to pay your investors dividends in the short term and you are telling them to pay a very expensive price for you, can they? Uh, I, don't, I don't think they can uh, stomach that kind of um, no reward, no payback for five years, 10 years, 15 years, right? At some point in time, Facebook, Amazon, Google will become mature companies. And, and during that point in time, when you hold the stock long enough, uh, that the cash flows are going to be what drives the value of ultimately of that company. And uh, you're going to be rewarded either uh, by waiting or by selling your stock in the short term for other people who believe in the long-term cash flow prospects of the company. Okay, I mean, uh, the philosophical discussions aside, uh, coming back to your question, uh, are markets expensive right now? I mean, how do we even determine uh, an answer for something like that? Okay, so let's look at PE ratios, and that's a very good question. Um, Malaysia right now, according to this website called starcapital.de, you can actually go to the website and check out a global valuation. And they laid out a very prettily and conveniently for you to check out uh, market pricing according to regions and so on. Trust the Germans to do this. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, And uh, so... You know, let's let's look at PE ratio. Malaysia is trading at about eighteen times, so eighteen years to pay back your earnings for Malaysia. Uh, the other country, a very big one, of course, is the United States. And what do you th- guys think is that uh, being traded at? I don't know. Okay, I got here yeah, eighteen years as well. Eighteen years, right? Uh, the United States, um, actually, yeah, eighteen years. So um, compare comparing US to Malaysia. Uh, and they're both trading at the same level. What does that mean? It means that uh, it, we are at the same level. I don't uh, know. Are, are we? So, so the question is, are we, right? <laughs> so uh, meekly. Is, no, I is, think <laughs> you should have had like a, a dong that sort of <laughs> knocked him over the head. Bad no, but, but the question is very relevant to what are the risk and return prospects uh, for Malaysia to be ranked on the same level as the United States, right? That That's the question that... Uh, is uh, fodder for another show, of course. Uh, what is an expensive country? Uh, for instance, Italy, yeah. 120 times being yeah. va- valued. Yeah. Norway has about 78 years. Uh, again, one lifetime of, uh, of investment, I suppose. Okay, so what are you looking at? When you look at a country like Italy, we know the problems with the in- Italian banking sector, non-performing loans, amount, I don't know, 18%. Mm-hmm. And, and there's all these issues with Italy, right? So that does that factor into uh, something like, uh, you know, its valuation or or how it's it's a the very short answer to that yes it does factor in um, and I think that they are, uh, I guess, in a very transitional period whereby investors actually expect Italy to turn around and therefore give uh, the kind of returns that are required to investors going forward. Norway is the other one, uh, which is valued highly, I suppose, because of uh, the, the trust 
and the credit is being given to them by investors in how they manage their resources and the economy. Um, and so they are getting uh, something that is very highly valued by investors. So, okay, this is another angle where I would like to look at, you know, highly valued versus lower valued. You see uh, Korea, South Korea as well as Hong Kong being cheaply valued right now at about 10 times or 10 years. Uh, South Korea at 11. Look um, at China. Uh, five. 5.5 times. No, right? excluding Hong Kong, Korea and China does have a manufacturing prowess. They can build things fast, uh, sometimes cheap as well. Mm-hmm. Um, could this be the reason why uh, investors see them as uh, cheap investments? Well, the, the cheapness is a reflection of not having a very good uh, value right at this point by the majority of the investors on those countries. So it's it's kind of like a negative perception. But on the flip side of it, it also represents opportunities for other investors. So if you want to take a bet on China right now, which is extremely risky, uh, most of the m- money is being managed by uh, Western fund managers. Like uh, the, the weight of money is borne by Western fund managers and they don't think that China is t- so hot. And that's why China is going very cheaply right now. It's, it's like buying a property in a bad neighborhood, right? It, it goes cheap, but do you want to live there? Yeah. I very, very interesting questions. Um, and, you know, and in fact, I've just tweeted out a link to those uh, websites that you mentioned just now, Julian. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the, the other uh, there there are many there there are a few more valuations. <laughs> thank you, Sharad, for doing so. We got to thank him for this effort. It's a good initiative. Thank you, Sharad. Yes. Um, there are a few more valuation uh, to go through. Someone actually went to went on to take this idea of PE ratio to a more extreme level and saying that. PE, just one year? Nah, I mean, that that's nothing, right? Yeah. That's, that's no good. So uh, we got this CAPE ratio, what is called the CAPE ratio, C-A-P-E, which stands for cyclically adjusted PE yeah. ratio, which yeah. actually takes the average of 10-year, a moving average of a 10-year PE ratio, s- just so that that valuation can cover economic cycles. And uh, that they argue will give you a more realistic view of uh, where markets are being traded. Yeah, of course, this is, you know, it just ties in with the weighted average, ties in with smoothening the, the forecasts. It is, it's actually a good way of measuring things. But uh, from here, you get a very inverse way of uh, the result. Uh, for instance, uh, we discussed just now, Hong Kong was quite cheap at about 10. Uh, now it becomes slightly more expensive at about 13. Yeah, that's right. And, and also, uh, if I may just add quickly, um, you can't just look at the P-E ratio in isolation. And we're asking the question of how expensive markets are today. Uh, the, the CAPE ratio for the United States is at 25, which is actually a level that is very expensive. It is one of those levels where uh, the chances of a big fall over the next couple of years uh, are very high, 25 times. The last time markets hit, in fact, the market was uh, a, a lot higher. Uh, sorry, the market is now at the same level as uh, when the global financial crisis happened. The yeah. 25 times CAPE ratio was last seen in 2008. And these patterns hold? I mean, they hold true? So one can rely on them as a barometer? No, what no not, not totally reliable, good okay. question. But but it's an indicator of expensiveness, I think. Right. So, so uh, for instance, the indicator of the expensiveness or, or the, the value of whether or not to enter uh, this CAPE ratio, it ties in with, say, for instance, Japan. Japan now has the same valuation as uh, US at about 
24, 25 times. So this again falls into the fact that uh, the, the same risks and rewards that is associated within these two markets, Japan and US, you can make the same argument that it is the same. Okay, just to add to that very quickly, because we are running out of time, maybe we'll continue this discussion next week. Um, the dot-com crisis, 45 times Cape ratio. So right now, 25 yeah. times is not the highest. And um, just on the eve of the Great Depression in the 19, uh, 1929, 1930, that was 30 times. So we are, we are five points short of uh, what we saw in the Great Depression. So what were you doing on the eve of Great Depression? I was not around. <laughs> and did you watch The Big Short? Another, uh, I think, study in patterns, right? So patterns, yeah. I think, very interesting. In lieu of crystal balls, which are not easily <laughs> uh, available in shops, around the country. But thank you, gentlemen. Julian Ng, uh, Ibrahim Sani, and myself, Sharad Kutin, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.